podcasting from Costa Rica, the land of Porta Vida. This is the 82 Degree Quest Show. We're a weekly podcast where we talk to expats and others about their life in Costa Rica. And now, here's your host, Dan and Cindy Gaskell. from Costa Rica. We want to welcome you to the 82 Degree Quest show. Thank you so much for listening and making us a part of your day. We also want to give you a very big thank you for helping us to be number one in iTunes in the new and noteworthy section of the travel category. Thank you so much. We would not be able to do this without your support and your ranking and reviews in iTunes and Stitcher. Today we have a very special guest for you. Steve Friedman is a former physical therapist, artist, and photographer who moved to Costa Rica from Denver with his wife Martha in 2013. He currently spends his days blogging political satire and chronicles his life and adventures in Costa Rica and elsewhere. He also does digital art and the occasional oil painting. Please welcome to the show, Steve Friedman. Okay, well, we just learned a little bit about Steve and his bio, and so, Steve, we just want to ask you a little bit. We've learned about you, but uh, give us a little bit of personal information. Uh, Well, uh, we moved here in 2013 from Denver, and uh, we're living out in Guanacaste in Playa Hermosa. We have a lovely kind of a two-story townhouse condo that we're renting. The beautiful view overlooks, uh, actually we can see Four Seasons from there. Uh, we're maybe about five-minute walk from to the beach, and it's been uh, quite an experience since we've been here. You said you're from Denver. What kind of work did you do there? I worked as a physical therapist, and my wife uh, worked, uh, she was a project manager with IBM for a number of years. Both of our careers were kind of starting to fall in decline. So we started to look around at, you know, how places we might want to move to or live. And Costa Rica came up when my wife went to an international living seminar. And one day she came home and said, oh, we should move to Costa Rica. Everything is so much cheaper there. (laughs) Of course, I was ready to have her practically committed. I thought, no, this is crazy, you know. Uh, Anyways, uh, we started to look around and actually we ended up here. Well, did you did you uh, think about some other places when when your wife came home and said Costa Rica? Was you just focused there, or did you decide eh, let's take a look around? No, actually, we we had a short list of Panama, Costa Rica, and Ecuador, and or actually it was Costa Rica, Panama, and Ecuador, and we never got to number two on the list. Uh, however, actually, we're we're starting to look a little closer at Panama now. So, what sealed the deal for you with Costa Rica? What really sealed the deal was we ran, uh, we, we came across a, a website by a man by the name of Andy Brown called Boomers Offshore. And he really, he was an avid videographer and very informative. And he basically documented his entire move from, I think they were from South Carolina originally, uh, all the way to Costa Rica and all the experiences they had. And as we started watching these, we started to realize, you know, this is not such a crazy idea. And we decided we would kind of take a due diligence tour with him. And this was in uh, February of 2013. We came out and we traveled around. We wanted to see some of the Central Valley. We were thinking maybe Lake Arenal and then come out to Guanacaste. And we spent, I think, about three days with him, and he kind of gave us the the tour of the expat store, not so much of all the the tourist places and things to do, but more things like clinics, hospitals, supermarkets, more things related to, you know, what would it be like to live here. But I think best of all was we really had a chance to talk to other expats who had moved here and really get their story and their ideas on, you know, how did you get here and what did you do right and wrong. And once we had that, we thought, well, you know, this is not such a half bad idea. I think that we came back with the idea that in the next six months or so, we would really try and pull things together and make the move. So that's good. So he gave you more of the reality tour rather than the 
rose-colored glasses tour. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, something that I'm always curious about is when people get here to Costa Rica, some know Spanish and some don't know Spanish. And, you know, what is your situation and, and how, how important do you think that is? Well, I came with a pretty proficient base of Spanish. I had taken it all through high school and college and had actually used it as a physical therapist in my job quite a bit. So I was proficient at it. My wife, not not at all. I think that's something people have to realize. Now, we live in an area, I think Playa Hermosa, Playa Coco, Playa Panama. Really, once you get outside the pale, it really becomes a different story. And especially once you start interfacing with, you know, government agencies and banks and especially clinics, um, you really find a need to know some some Spanish or at least have someone who can translate for you. Well, and that's what we found is that, you know, we can we can do some basic things. We can go to the grocery store. We can order food to some degree, at least point, <laughs> and, you know, get along with some certain things. But when it comes right down to government services or some other things, it's just very difficult. And so we have to rely upon other people right now. And so it does make it very difficult for us. Prime example of this where uh, my wife got in a little fender dender and the, the other person insisted that we file with INS, that was it. And we had to go into Philadelphia to file a declaration. And she said, oh, it's no problem. You know Spanish. Well, we're sitting there with this lady and she's blabbering away and we're sitting there like deer in headlights. And I have absolutely no idea what she is talking about. We finally managed to get enough vocabulary going across and stuff. And then she said something about a juez and a juicio. And I wasn't quite sure what she was talking about. And I Googled it and it says, judge, trial. And I said, wait a minute, this is way out of my league here. That would be something that, uh, wow, when they start talking about judges and, and uh, you know, I'm sure lawyers come in into that, that's, that's not a good situation, especially if you don't know exactly what they're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> you know, when you did make that decision and decided, I'm coming to Costa Rica, what did you do with all your stuff? Did you keep stuff? Did you get rid of it? Did you <laughs> sell it? What, what's, uh, what's your situation there? This was really the hardest part of the entire process, and, and we had pretty good lead time. When we finally decided to move, it was not something that we could do halfway. One of the main reasons that we said this is pretty much it, up until that time, um, my mother-in-law had been living with us uh, and had really been helping out with a lot of the expenses. And then she really got to the point where she just couldn't stay with us anymore because of the stairs. So we were really at the point where we, we had to be leaving. But the next six months of downsizing, four months or whatever it was, were probably some of the most painful in, in our entire marriage. We went from basically a three-acre ranchette down to a, a much, you know, maybe a thousand square feet of stuff. What we did do that I think was very smart was that when we prepared for this trip, we started initially in Florida, and my wife spent some time there looking at some foreclosure real estate and decided it might be a good idea to pick up a small rental that we could use, you know, both as generating from income, but we could all, it would also be our plan B. She was able to pick, you know, up a very small little piece of property, I think, in Port Charlotte for quite, <laughs> quite a good price. And what we decided to do is kind of our, some of our excess stuff, we would furnish it with and use that as a furnished rental. And if things did not work out at all for in uh, uh, Costa Rica, that would be our fallback plan. But besides that, God... I mean, we, we weren't quite, you know, candidates for um, an episode of Hoarders, but we had acquired a lot of stuff. I mean, we had, you know, we had a barn full of animals at one time, and we had three horses and chickens and dogs and cats. Plus, I had like an, you know, a, a, an art business. And I mean, we just, God, we just had lots of stuff. And getting rid of it is a lot harder than acquiring it. We originally were thinking of having like an auction service uh, kind of do our liquidation for us. Well, they came out and they looked around and they said, 
no, nope. you don't have enough good stuff <laughs> okay. to do it. So we're sitting there in a panic and it's like, oh my God, we've, we've got to pull this together ourselves. So literally every single weekend from when it stopped snowing, which was in about late April uh, in Denver, we had you know yard and house sales and everything else. And I mean, it was it was agonizing. Yeah, we whittled things down to a reasonable amount, and then uh, we took a U-Haul and one of our cars and drove down to Florida. We basically spent maybe about three weeks down there fixing that place up and putting the stuff there, and then the stuff that we were planning on taking on to Costa Rica. Some of it we packed, and I think we had about six suitcases between us and then the rest we put in storage down in Florida until we could figure out what we were going to need. So is is it just sitting there now uh, just waiting on what you decide you want to do with it? Oh no, no. We we've already brought it down. What we end up doing is we came down here kind of for a kind of month trial. It was either a go or no go, but really it was kind of you know, we, we've got to, if, if we can't make this work, we're going to end up in Florida. We, we really didn't have a very good idea on exactly where we were going to, you know, rent and stuff. You know, we talked to a lot of the locals here and stuff, and they said, really, the only way to do it is boots on the ground. There are no multiple listing services and stuff. You kind of have to come down here, talk to, you know, rental agents, talk to property managers and talk to, you know, the network of people uh, and find out what's available. And that's really the only way you're going to do it. In the meantime, we set up just kind of a three-month rental and a little casita here. And that's pretty standard thing for people to do. And it, it did kind of surprise us when we got here was the lack of the MLS system here, you know, and it just all depends upon which agent has which uh, house. And, you know, it's it's kind of helter-skelter. And I think that's something a lot of people aren't really aware of. You know, they'll go out on the Internet and they'll try and see and, you know, or maybe contact one real estate person and stuff. But you really can't get a, an accurate picture because a lot of the stuff, it's just by word of mouth, and you have to be here and network with people to, to really find out where, where things are available. Um, and I, I would tell anybody coming down here, establish your network as soon as you can, I mean, before you get out here, and let people know, hey, I am really thinking of moving out here. I'm planning on you know, coming out, you know, a boots on the ground for extended period of time around this time frame. If you know of any place that becomes available, let me know. And I think you'll you'll get a lot further along than just trying to go through one real estate agent. I mean, networking is important no matter where you're at in the world, but here in Costa Rica, it's it's vital because... Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. It is the number one thing that you need to do. Yeah, and I know we found the Costa Rica Facebook site was very helpful to us. We were able to ask questions ahead of time, and I know there's there are more sites like that available. So, you know, we would encourage our listeners to, if you're thinking about a move, definitely become a part of those groups and put your questions out there. Uh, Stephen, one of the things I always am interested in is, what did your friends and family think when you told them that you were packing up everything and moving to Costa Rica? I don't think they were too shocked. I think they were more surprised than anything else. I, I think, you know, part of telling them we're moving to Costa Rica is the initial impression that you're going to live in a grass hut with stakes and spiders <laughs> crawling all over the place and, you know, living and, you know, eating bananas or something. I, I think, I frankly, when my wife first announced she wanted to move to Costa Rica, that was my first impression, too. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of misconception about, you know, what Central America living is like. And, uh, I mean, most, you know, there are a lot of people who still think we're living on an island. They get mixed up with coast, uh, Puerto Rica. We got that exact same thing that, you know, they, they said, oh, finally, you're going to be on island life. And we said, no, it's yeah. actually attached. So it's not, not actually an island. Yes, they also wanted to know, uh, now, is Costa Rica a part of the United States like Puerto Rico is? You know, and that's another misconception they have is that Costa Rica is actually part of the U.S. and it's actually its own country. Yes, very much so. 
how much stuff now you did say that you you brought six suitcases approximately six suitcases with you and what did those suitcases hold i mean what what were the necessities that you felt like you had to have well when we came down here i probably the the, <laughs> the necessities number 1 is mattress pad the mattresses down here are unbelievably hard. They're basically cement slabs. So, I mean, one of the, the priority things, in fact, I lugged it as an extra piece of luggage, was one of these Vizio elastic foam mattress pads. Yes. So that was number one. My, my sleep came first. <laughs> we had probably another suitcase of just electronics gear that you know, the NA, uh, NSA would be very envious of, um, computer stuff networking stuff. One thing that we, we got is it's a little video player that called the KD Links box that lets us play movies through a hard drive without a computer and stuff. So a lot of electronics, probably some food items and stuff. Can't can't quite remember what all we had in the initial thing, but yeah, that was basically the bulk of it. Well I have kind of a two part question for you. Sure. First of all, was there anything that you brought with you that, in retrospect, you realize now that you didn't really need it? And the other part of that question is, what would you have brought with you that you didn't bring initially? Sitting right behind me is this enormous inkjet printer that I brought with me, figuring that I would be printing, you know, giant copies of my photos and artwork and stuff. <laughs> As you can see, it, it's basically a stool for the cats now. Um, <laughs> it, uh, you know, not to mention the fact that it did not survive the journey over here. It, it was, uh, it just, I never really had a need for it. So that was one thing that uh, I brought that I certainly didn't need. I would say we'd had a chance. I, I think what, what was good is that we'd put some of our stuff in storage so that we could come back to it without having to bring it. And once we found a place, which I should mention that once we landed here, we we spent maybe about two weeks in the casitas and realized immediately that this was not going to be a long-term solution. It's one thing to spend a week or two there, but much beyond that would be a little bit too much like camping or living in a home. <laughs> yeah. So... It was really a question of, you know, are we going to find something here? And luckily within, geez, a matter of the first week, uh, we did manage to hook up with a property manager who showed us some two pieces of uh, rental properties that were fully furnished, and we decided to take one. So we had in that three-month period a chance to get an idea of what furniture and stuff was there and, and what we planned, you know, what we needed to fill in the gaps. And also, you know, knowing that, we went on a shopping spree to Amazon Incorporated <laughs> and, and basically, you know, things that we knew we were going to need that we wanted to ship down here. Okay, so have you already shipped those items down now yeah. or is that still in the process? No, we, we shipped, to give you our, our timetable, we came in July of 2013 then we were planning on returning in October and kind of finalizing our move. We had set up, uh, we had made the connections and got recommendations here on shippers that were reliable and stuff. And we had contacted uh, two of them. I think Mike Rappaport was one and Charlie Zeller was the other one. And we ended up going with Charlie Zeller because uh, I think he was able to get our shipment in a little bit sooner than Mike did and he was also shipping out of a port in Florida which made it a lot easier because what we ended up doing is just taking a U-Haul from our storage locker in Port Charlotte and just drove it right to his um, facility in I think it's in Brainerd so we shipped down oh it was a consolidated container we did not need a whole container Furniture-wise, I think really this office chair that I'm sitting in and then a couple knockdown, you know, teak tables and stuff and maybe a lamp or two and some computer equipment and, you know, a lot of kitchen stuff and my wife sewing things. But, you know, no real furniture and big items. 
So we've heard a lot about the process of shipping things down, and we've heard heard stories. Um, <laughs> how how much of a process was that for you? And kind kind of walk us through what you had to do to to ship a container down here. The container part was the easiest. Uh, like I say, Charlie was excellent. He really gave us. You know, we we basically he told us exactly what we needed to do. We boxed up the stuff. You know, we labeled it and itemized it. We did end up shipping our car, and we can go into that uh, next. But the shipping are the bulk of our stuff. That was the easy part. What is very difficult is once you're here and have your stuff, and you need something else brought into the U.S. Uh, <laughs> it is absolutely a you know, a labor in trying to get something here. Yeah, the the car thing uh, really interests me because we've talked to several people. Most people have decided not to have a car that we've talked to. Uh, there's a couple people who have cars, but uh, most of them have not had cars. And so what was your process in trying to decide what whether to have a car and why, why you shipped the car you had? Out in Guanacaste, you really, well, I won't say... It's essential. If you live in Cocoa and just want to stay in Cocoa, you can get by with a little motorbike or a lot of people have golf carts or something. But it's very hilly out here, and it's not that close together. But worst of all, public transportation is not all that easy. There is a bus that runs between here and Cocoa, but not directly. You have to change buses like two times to get there. And that's just, you know, what, seven, eight kilometers away, or you can take a bus into Liberia. So it just became very apparent that if we wanted to be here and really get out and about, we we needed a car. At first, we thought we would just look for a used car here, and then when we got back, we'd sell the one we had. And as we started looking around, we were shocked to find that, I mean, cars that were just one step up from junkers were still four or five thousand dollars and anything new and in good condition was probably up between twenty eight to thirty six thousand dollars so we actually we had a nineteen ninety nine honda crv that had been around the block quite a bit in fact actually the insurance company had written it off uh, because it had been it took a lot of body damage in a hailstorm and they said well, okay we'll give you the value of it if you want to turn in the rest for just scrap you know we'll give you a another couple thousand but you know it's still in good running condition and we thought you know this is in better shape than the same cars that we've been looking at here and we looked into what it would cost to bring it over now we'd heard a lot about duties being very expensive and everything like that well it turns out that with all the licensing and duties and shipping it was something like a total of $5200 which was like probably about 3000 less than anything we could find of comparable worth so um what made it easier was we could actually drive it to his port facility instead of shipping it. A lot of times the bulk of the expense of shipping a car is not from the port in Florida to Costa Rica. It's the city of, you know, Houston or whatever to, you know, wherever they ship from, and they have to ship it over land, you know, on a car carrier and stuff. And that can easily add a couple thousand dollars to shipping a car over. Probably the difference between, oh, there's some differences between living there at the beach and living where we're at in Gratia, where we're kind of in the, the mountain areas, and, and there's a lot better public transportation here than there is down there at the at the beach area. So you're right. We can get along without a car here because there's taxis, there's buses going every direction all the time. But I know when we were out in uh, Playa Grande last year, they're just, they're non-existent almost. Yeah. And I think our biggest expense the first three months we were here was car rental, uh, long-term rental. It was a fortune. I think even with Adobe and off-season rates, we were paying, boy, better than $1,000 a month. And that that was a real budget breaker. Yeah. Well, and speaking of budget, that was happens to be the next question I wanted to ask you about. How did you decide on a budget? What, what What's the process there? And, and are you able to kind of stay with that budget? 
we started tracking our expenses initially, and I think we've kind of laxed up on it. I do keep a pretty good idea of it. I mean, we knew we weren't under terrible budget constraints, but, you know, we, we knew that we had to keep it within reason. I decided, uh, we at this point, I was completely retired and it started Social Security, so we had some of that income, and then we also had our investment income and stuff. So we were sitting pretty pretty well, but the, the nice thing is we didn't really plan on coming out here to work. Um, I think some people come out here with the idea, oh, I'm going to start a business, I'm going to get a job. A lot of those things just don't work out, especially trying to start a business. Our, our situation is we just couldn't go overboard on spending. I would say right now, I mean, we're not belt tightening or anything. We're, you know, we, we go out when we want and we eat you know, restaurants when we feel like and stuff. But we're still able to keep it to, I would say, probably about 3000 a month. And that includes, you know, car maintenance and everything else. Now, compare that to when we were in Denver. I mean, we were probably up around six, $7,000 a month with insurance premiums. And, you know, we had multiple vehicles. And then we lived, you know, out kind of a rural area. So gas, of course, was an expense. So there were a lot of those expenses. You know, once we came here, we dropped all of our insurance. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about healthcare a little bit later. But so we had all those expenses. So even though I would say some things are a lot more expensive here, when you add up and balance everything out and the fact that, you know, our rent here, I mean, we're paying, I'd say, you know, a, a very reasonable rent for where we're living. So we're easily managing about 3000 a month. Yeah, which seems to be pretty reasonable for the um, Guanacaste Beach area. You know, we know that it being more touristy that uh, you're going to have more expenses there. Um, also, the need for air conditioning seems <laughs> to be a factor there. That, that's a big expense. Um, our last air conditioning bill was half the amount of our rent. I mean, it was about $400. Which is, oh, yeah, goodness. that is really a lot. And it's because in, in colder climates, you need insulation to basically keep the warm air in. Here, you know, you need it to keep the cold air in, and there is no insulation. It's basically a sieve. And, uh, I mean, it's just today was just so hot and humid. In fact, our power went out for about three hours, and it, we were just sitting here sweltering. So, yeah, you, oh, need, uh, you need AC out here. Okay, so that brings me to, once again, another two-part question. What do you like the most about living here in Costa Rica, and what do you like the least? Okay. Certainly the most is just, you know, we, we've always had a dream of living by the beach, and it's really nice. You know, you get up in the morning, and I take my beach walk, and it's beautiful and sunny and stuff. And, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, I think it's it's that you know, adventure, finding, you know, new places to go and new things to see. And, you know, there's always something around the corner. And, and I think it's just all the little weird things that happen that kind of give you adventure stories and stuff. I mean, the reason we all have blogs is because it's not like, oh, I went to Walmart the other day and I found a pair of socks. It's like I spent <laughs> two days looking for a pair of socks and I finally found them in this little hole. You know, and those are the little adventures that kind of give us um, a rationale for, for living here. Yeah, we, we kind of know about that. We were looking for um, notebooks for our Spanish class. And, you know, we walked into this little store that you would never dream you would find a notebook in. And there it was. And you just never know what you're going to find. There's no real rhyme or reason to what may be in a store. And can you imagine telling your neighbors, hey, I went to Walmart and I found a notebook. It's like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They'd think we were crazy. That's kind of the, the plus side my number one pet peeve is the fact that there are no addresses here. It is unbelievable. And what passes for an address sounds like a pirate treasure map. You know, it's like 200 yards past the big tree, turn left, 
you know, walk the plank and dig. <laughs> I, I just got through a major escapade uh, because my credit card, uh, they decided that they were going to replace it uh, because some security thing had been breached. And my old one wasn't going to be good. Well, I was planning on picking it up when I came back to the U.S. in November. And now they're telling me, it's going to be kaput after tomorrow. So I said, all right, well, let's try and send it to me. So I gave him as close as I could the most accurate address that I actually had things delivered to. And, you know, they, they, they copied it down. And then I, I actually watched it, you know, tracked it in FedEx. And it got to San Jose. And then it sat there. Incorrect address. And I spent the next five days trying to get a hold of FedEx in San Jose to try to tell them, you know, of how to find me or contact me. And it was, it was just a nightmare. So that's, that's my number one peeve is that it's just, it is so difficult to just have things shipped to you because for one thing, there's, there's no addresses. I've had the thought uh, since we've been here, uh, we live in a little apartment, and I've, I kept thinking, what if something caught on fire? The The apartment would burn down before I could get the address to the fire department. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yet, funny thing is, is people seem to know. I mean, it's like the Ticos have learned to live without addresses. I mean, one address I actually heard exists is it's around the corner from the guy that committed suicide two years ago. And people know that, you know, and it's just, it's because people don't travel as widely as they do here. Ticos don't get mail, you know, it's just the gringos that seem to get it and stuff. And then they just, you know, the country is, I guess San Jose is finally getting some addresses, but the rest of the country, you know. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Yeah, we had a similar experience with someone giving us directions from a certain church, uh, not the main church in town, but an, another church, a little smaller church. The only problem is that that church had burned down. Yeah. And, and the dress will always be known as next to the church that burned down. What exactly. Most, what people have learned to do that I'm aware of is, you know, most people have GPSs. The only ones with maps down here are the Garmin right now. But what people will do is when they find a place that they want to come back to, they will use the save location, and it actually gives them the latitude and longitude of the thing so that they can go back to it that way. I have that app on my phone. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, we were having some chairs delivered from Sarchi, and they didn't ask for our address, obviously. They asked for what the GPS coordinates were. Interesting, Yeah. So that, that way they can just track it and, you know, it's it's accurate to within 50 feet or 30 feet, I think, what it was. And so I guess they've been getting along this way for a long time. So we're not going to change them. Nope, and that's for sure. Okay, so that's that's my number one pet peeve. My number two pet peeve is just getting stuff here. If you need to replace something or if you need to get something from the U.S., Really, the only sane way to do it is the mule train, and that is you find another expat that's coming in, and you say, well, are you willing to take this, you know, bring this back for me? I've got a hard drive now that's on the fritz, and they said, okay, we'll just send it back, and we'll give you an RMA number, and we'll replace it. Well, that's not exactly an easy thing to do. For one thing, <laughs> I don't even want to try to go through the same thing I do, have them ship it here, and, and then end up having to pay duties for more than the cost of the replacement drive. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, you know, uh, shipping the old drive back is going to cost me probably as much as a new one. So I've got to wait for someone to go back in the U.S. to mail the old one back in the U.S. so, so that I can have the new one shipped to a location in the U.S., and then, you know, pick it up on my next trip back or have it sent to somebody who's coming down here. So Yeah, it, I, think the, I think the mule system is, is alive and well here because, frankly, we had uh, some, some stuff brought back by some people that we know, and we're going to pick it up, to, let's see, Friday. So I, I don't know if, if you noticed, but the shampoo here is really bad. And so, yeah, yeah. I, yeah it's, it's, you know, you have to use about 
I don't know, five handfuls to get enough to, to lather up your hair. And so I forgot for some reason to, to bring, uh, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, so we have some guys that are bringing them back for us. <laughs> but it, it's things that, you know, if they break or, you know, important things when they break, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you learn to just live without, or you just live with the, the Tico equivalent, but other things that are just, you know, really hard. Um, one of the things I just ran into now was um, I'm a diabetic, so I, you know, I test my blood sugar, and it turns out I can't get the strips for my meter here, and so I periodically have to, you know, I have to either find a way to have people bring them down, or you know, just bring back a huge supply of them, you know, next time I go down there. So it's it's those things, kind of the supply train that it's just it just really drives you crazy sometimes. You know, you mentioned some health situation with, you know, with your diabetes and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, I know that there's a lot of people who are listening to this that are considering coming down here and a big thing for them is health care and, and the health issues that they have. What is it that you'd advise there and, and how have you personally handled that? The health care si- uh, th- situation down here, it's a very mixed picture. On one hand, you have, I mean, there's almost three tiers of things. A lot of, I would say, down here in Guanacaste, it's about a 50-50 mix of Canadians and Americans. The Canadians still rely on their health system. If some, you know, if, if the Shan hits the fit, you know, they're, they're headed back to Canada where they're on their uh, health system. A lot of Americans are, you know, they'll get some private health plan here uh, through, forget who it is, is INS or something like that. Unfortunately, I, I'm in a situation, and many other people are, where you know where we can't get in private insurance because of pre-existing conditions. Or if we can, it's very expensive down here. So we initially took the approach of we're going bare, and that is that we will basically pay for our healthcare needs as they come up. In the U.S., that would be akin to financial suicide. But down here, you can do it. In fact, one of the first things I had when I came down here was cataract surgery because my eyesight was going terrible. And I had set up an appointment with a doctor in San Jose who I had contact with through, I think it was the expat community. And he was a wonderful doctor, trained in Oxford. He did both my eyes for, I think the whole thing came out to, what, about $3,200 out the door. In the U.S., it would have been $3,200 each eye. Oh, so yeah, at least, yeah. Even though it was out of pocket, the fact that I can basically cover those costs out of my savings, and I'm I'm basically still ahead because I'm not paying, I think it was like $700 a month in the U.S., which covered basically aspirin and leeches, and they're out of aspirin. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and, and the situation in the U.S. is becoming worse with the healthcare just because there's so many more out-of-pocket things. That's that's the thing we've noticed with the last year or two that we were there in the States was that the deductibles, the out-of-pocket stuff, it just it got to be worse and worse. When we have health needs, there are some free doctors out here in Cocoa and Liberia and stuff, and if I need to see a doctor, I will pay out-of-pocket. And, I mean, the cost of it is about the same as you would pay for your deductible or your, you know, your basic urgent care center. So it's, it's doable and the quality of care is, is very good. Now, we just got our sedulas and we just signed up for CAHA, which is their public health system. Out here, CAHA is not well accepted. Um, actually, tomorrow we go in for our first checkup, and so we'll see how that goes. But most of the gringos we know out here, they're just totally disgusted with it. The only reason they use it is to get meds. But even that is not always a good solution. Um, for me, they would have none of the meds that I take, and to get them would be a six-month process with a lot of letters going back and forth and, and still may never even get it. So, you know, we're keeping Kaha's our, you know, if the Shan hits the fit, you know, we really need to, you know, get emergency care, we, we might use it or we might not. And we might just decide to continue going out of pocket. 
The good news is that as pensionadas, our Caja bill is a total of $50 a month as opposed to 700 And that's for both of us. No deductible at all. So. Right. No deductible, nothing. It is, uh, at least in cost-wise, it is definitely a, a, a good thing and, and much less expensive. But, but there is a little bit of uh, irritation factor, I know, that goes along with it. A big irritation factor, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's very mixed. It, I mean, some communities have excellent bias clinics. Others, they're terrible. And yep. they're, they're openly hostile to gringos. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. In the bio, we talked a little bit about your writing and that sort of thing. And what? To, tell me about what you do with your writing and and how all this came about. Uh, <laughs> I think one of the uh, one of the big questions people ask, and and I still haven't found a good answer for, is what do you do down here? <laughs> yes, and it's such a a, a strange question. Um, I, I did kind of a, a kind of tongue in cheek uh, blog entry about it about. The, the peas and stuff in there, the players and the planners and the you know, pumpers and whatever. But it, it's there's a lot of nothing down here. And yes. I, I think this is one of the hardest things that people are saying here is, what do you do? The women down here are incredibly organized. I mean, my wife, every day of the week, she's out, you know, with her canasta group or her mahjong group or the ladies sailing group or, you know, the ladies are always doing something. It's basically the wives that want to get away from their husband's group. So uh, the guys, you know, you, you do not go there at your own peril. The guys don't do that. I mean, there are some kind of community things of, you know, teach Spanish to the, you know, um, Ticos and, you know, help out in the schools and some church groups and things. But it's finding what to do is you really have to kind of invent yourself. Anybody who owns a property is given they spend 90% of their time either waiting for somebody to come to repair it, trying to repair it themselves, or looking for materials to repair it. And that's their entire day. The rest of the day, you know, it's spent, like I say, you spend a big portion of your time running around just getting things done and getting supplies. And it's amazing how much time that eats. Um, it's a good thing we're retired because, I mean, God, if I had to spend all day doing this back in Denver, I'd never get anything done. But uh, so part of reinventing myself is looking for things that I'm good at and that I enjoy doing and can basically do by myself and, uh, you know, feel somewhat productive. So I've got kind of like a blog, a couple blog sites one is to chronicle my expat adventures. I do a lot of satirical political writing on a blog called My Satirical Side. I was an artist back in Denver, and I did a lot of digital art, and I still do that. And I think it's a wonderful thing because I don't need a lot of supplies or I don't need a lot of things to set up. And have just created some beautiful digital paintings here. So things like that, they, they occupy my time, photography, stuff. But a lot of it is just running around. <laughs> yeah, we kind of get that too. And unfortunately, Dan doesn't have the luxury of me going off and finding some women's group by myself to, to be away from him. I drag him with everything I do. <laughs> Come out here. You'll find the women are like unbelievably <laughs> organized. Oh, they they are here also, but I don't play bridge or canasta. Yeah, there you got it. <laughs> not into that kind yeah. of thing. So, yeah. so yeah, Dan get, Dan gets to get drugged around town with me. One thing I would like to ask you is, what advice would you give someone who is thinking about moving down here? I would say the first piece of advice I have is take it slow. I hear of so many people, you know, they get off, they go to these international living seminars, and before they're on the plane back home, they've already signed a deed to a property. And um, I love it, you know, it's like the guy shows you this beautiful view overlooking the ocean, and it's like, oh, look at the view. It's in the middle of nowhere. And they think, oh, yeah, well, I'll build here, and it'll be just like living in California. No, it is nothing. Nothing like living in California. And so, I mean, my, my biggest thing is don't commit yourself to 
anything until you've been here probably a year. And even then, I think that is the minimum amount of time. There are enough rentals here that you do not need to come here and immediately sign, you know, to buy a, a house and plan on living the rest of your life. They say that probably 40% of the people will leave within three years of coming here. Uh, and that could be from any number of reasons. I mean, some come here and decide that this is absolutely not for me or others, you know, for reasons of health or family, or they just say, you know, this has been fun. Let's move on. But I think the biggest mistake you can make is come down here and immediately plan on buying either property or a house because you get, you know, and you get suckered into the eye candy, um, even renting a property. You know, you'll look and you say, oh, well, boy, wouldn't it be nice to live out in a finca? Well, yeah, except for the fact that you don't speak a word of Spanish. It's a dirt road in there that's underwater for during the rainy season. And the nearest gas station is 30 kilometers away, and they're out of gas half the time. And it's just gringos, they don't understand or they're, they they they, they can't grasp the fact that even though it looks like paradise, you know, when you scrape the surface, it's still Central America. And there are a lot of things that are very nice about Costa Rica and a lot of things that are not nice at all about Costa Rica. And you may find that, you know, within probably two years, you'll find out if you really want to stay you know, for the rest of your life or whether you're ready to move on or I can't wait to get out of here. So I'd say the number one piece of advice is take it slow, come down and rent for a while. You know, even like we did where we really had cut the cord. We didn't have the option of keeping our old house and moving down here. It was like, no, we, we, we did manage to make a plan B, which I think was a very good plan to buy a, you know, a small affordable rental in an area that, you know, if you wanted to move back to the U.S., you had a backup plan. Or, you know, if you wanted to put your stuff in storage for a couple of years and just say, yes, I'll take, you know, a $2,000 or $3,000 bite, but to basically plan on day one, I'm going to bring a whole, 40-foot shipping container with all my furniture and everything else down here uh, and buy a house, you know, in my first month, I, I think is, is just totally crazy. That was one thing that we decided we were going to do was we were going to take things very slowly. We're going to spend at a minimal rate and uh, we're going to try and be very budget conscious and, and really because what I've understood and what I see is it's very easy to buy a house, but it's very difficult to sell it. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and, and that's something that the real estate people will not tell you. I'd say the other piece of advice is establish your network as, as best you can, but you know, be wary of advice from anybody who has something to sell you. Seek advice from people who have absolutely nothing to sell you whatsoever because they're going to give you the straight poop. And even though they may, you may not agree with it or it may be very different from your experience, it's not colored with the idea of, look at this beautiful piece of property I can show you. No, just don't do that. It's something, like you said, there's a large amount of people who come down here and, um, you know, get jaded. And, and uh, the problem is, is that it isn't always exactly what it's cracked up to be. And so, like you said, you need to be here. You need to experience it and live it for yourself and, and just kind of learn. I love to tell a story about when people ask, well, how do you like living here? And I, I, I compare it to a story. A man dies and he goes to heaven and he goes to St. Peter and St. Peter hands him the harp and walks into heaven. And says, oh my God, this is paradise. And I mean, palm trees and beautiful ocean views and fruit hanging down the line. And it's just beautiful. About three months later, he comes back to St. Peter and he says, you know, heaven is everything I expected it to be. It's beautiful and gorgeous and, and lovely. But I just have one question. What do people do here? And St. Peter says, they go to hell for vacation. There's more to do there and the food's better. 
<laughs> and and that's kind of like it is living out here in Costa Rica, especially out where we are. Is you know, I hate to say it, but after a while, paradise becomes just a place, and that it's like after you've done the beach and fishing and snorkeling and everything, and it's just it becomes just another place. And well, I'll just leave it at that. Well, you know, I, I'm just a kid from from Kansas, and and you know, I look out the window now here at this place that we're at, and I look right up the slopes of of Paws um, Volcano, and I would have never dreamed that I could have possibly done that, uh, obviously in Kansas. And I'm not saying that I take it for granted, but I don't look at it quite as often as I did the very first day I was here. So I, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, the first. Year you're here, everything is rainbows and unicorns. I think the second year is a very different experience. I think the shine definitely wears off the penny, and more of the things that irritate you become a lot more prominent. I'd say, you know, by the end of two years, or the, I'd say actually by the end of three, you really know if you're going to want to spend the rest of your or you know, plan on either returning to the U.S. or moving somewhere else. Well, hey, Steve, you know, we've really enjoyed having you here on the show and, and you've given us a lot of great wisdom and some good stuff here. So one thing you mentioned was, you know, you do some writing, you have some websites. What is the best way for people to get in contact with you? Um, I'm happy to talk to people. I would say uh, you can contact me either through, what is that? I think it's Steve's expat uh, blog uh, and, and you can publish the address um, or Facebook if you decide to friend me on Facebook, just send me a message saying, oh, I saw you on, you know, such and such uh, thing and would like to talk to you about Costa Rica. That distinguish you from, you know, all the people that want to send sell me vitamins and herbal remedies <laughs> who want to friend me. So at least I know that, you know, you're, you're somebody who's actually interested or, you know, send me emails with any questions. And, you know, I'm like I say, I've got lots of time on my hands and happy to answer any questions. Well, and as always, our listeners know that they can always get all the show notes with links to you just by going to 82degreequest.com and just do a search for Steve Friedman. We really appreciate it, your time, and uh, thanks for joining us here on the 82 Degree Quest podcast. My pleasure. We want to say thank you so much for listening to the show by giving you a free gift. Just go to 82degreequest.com slash podcast VIP and get access to our special report, 10 Reasons Why It's Easier Than You Think to Move to Costa Rica. That's 82degreequest.com slash podcast VIP. Thank you so much for joining us today on the 82 Degree Quest show. Head on over to 82degreequest.com for full recaps of every show, blog articles, and resources you can use. Remember, living your dream is possible. All you have to do is take the very first step. Thanks again. I'm Dan Gaskell with Cindy Gaskell saying, we'll catch you next time. Music